Welcome to season four of the Life Giver Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope that will breathe life into your service, family, and home. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm honored to take this opportunity to invest in you. I remember sitting on the couch saying to my husband, I hate that people hate you and I hate this life. And I remember him saying, really? Because I feel privileged that I was chosen to live this life. Welcome to another episode of the Life Giver Podcast. This is your host, Corey Weathers. Um, I know every time I have guests, I say I have a really special guest for you, but we really have special guests today. And I am so excited to introduce you to Ashley and Sarah. They're two really great friends of mine. And I, during my sabbatical, my kind of my time off that I take in the winter, I just really was thinking about what I wanted season four to be about. And I kept thinking about everybody that's listening and how this podcast is really meant to be um, embracing kind of two communities that tend to not really cross paths very often. And the fact that it's for military and first responders, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that have sometimes said, yeah, but really how much do we really have in common? Um, because sometimes all we know is all we know. And so I wanted to bring Sarah and Ashley onto the podcast because it's the perfect roundtable discussion for this season and for, I think, those of you who are listening. So um, very briefly, I just want to introduce um, who you're going to be listening to today. I met both of them at the Empowered Spouse Retreat through the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation, where we do bring military and first responders and veteran spouses, all three of those groups together for one weekend, where they kind of go through this experience of getting to know each other's culture and seeing their similarities and differences. So with us today, I have Ashley. Ashley is, um, she is a military spouse and she's actually in Italy right now with her active duty service member, her husband, but Ashley is also a veteran. So there was a time when they were dual service. So she also has that experience as well of being a service member being, which means she's also dual service married to another service member, but is now an active duty military spouse and veteran, however you want to mix all of those together. And then we also have Sarah. And Sarah is um, a first responder spouse. Her husband is on a SWAT team. And so we might talk a little bit about that as well. And so I know you guys are going to have a great time listening in. So guys, welcome to this roundtable discussion. Thanks for having us. So I am so excited. I think what we should do is we should just do kind of a brief introduction and let you guys kind of talk about your journey. It doesn't have to be super long because I really want us to get into um, your experience of meeting each other and the experience during the Empowered Spouse Retreat. So Ashley, start off with sharing a little bit of your background and what you did in the military um, and maybe a little bit about what your transition has been like, especially now that you're in Italy trying to transition as a military spouse. All right. So I joined the military out of Wyoming at 17 years old, um, just really to get out of Wyoming. And I found myself in Iraq at 19 and then back in Iraq at 23 with a transportation corps. So on that second deployment, I ended up getting pretty hurt and had a series of surgeries which really defined the rest of my career for me. I was able to still continue to move up through the ranks, but the job options for me were very slim because of the injuries that I had. And um, I moved in towards like the recruiting career counseling and did a lot of the marketing and advertising for 
the National Guard in North Carolina and actually um, was the committee chair over all 54 states and territories up towards my last duty station, which was at uh, North Carolina State University with their ROTC. Um, 18 years and I decided with the direction of my husband's career that it was probably the writing was on the wall for me medically and I just needed to accept that so I initiated the medical retirement process and I retired in August um, two weeks later my six-year-old son and I moved to Italy to join my husband and it has really been a process of learning how to be a military spouse. Uh, a lot of the stuff that is challenging, I never even considered it. I, I'm mind blown at the stuff that spouses go through to get everyday care. I've had to memorize someone else's social security number, which I never even thought was going to be an option for me. Um, and it's just, you know, I'm just trying to figure out my new life as a military spouse and um, retired soldier. So, and that's what I remember from you coming to the retreat was you were really brand new into this transitioning to a military spouse. Um, and I remember you even saying um, that this was generally not the group of people that you would normally have fellowship with or have community with. And so this was you jumping into the deep end of experiencing this whole new perspective. And so we might get into that as well. So let me jump to Sarah here. Sarah, um, you are first responder spouse. So kind of share a little bit about your background, how long you guys have been in the service. Okay. Yeah. So I've been a first responder spouse for, um, 10 years this past November. Um, and I'll be ha have married for 10 years um, this coming August. So I guess I was in the spouse for a couple months. But basically, um, the point I'm trying to make is that we have done this our whole married life. So we've known nothing but um, first responder life. And I'm a stay-at-home mom. I have two boys. They're 15 months apart. Um, and they I homeschool them as well. So I definitely have a very supporting role in what my husband's doing because whereas some may have to kind of juggle two schedules, mine can be very catering um, to just the needs of first responder life. And so share a little bit, because your husband does SWAT, what would be the difference between his experience or maybe your experience with that special niche group versus what you've experienced hearing from other first responder spouses? So I did, uh, it wasn't until the last three years that um, my husband has been on SWAT. So I did just, you know, regular patrol or a beat cop kind of life. Um, or well, my husband did, and I experienced it through him. Um, and, you know, initially the whole thing was jarring to have shift work and work holidays and be very on opposite schedules with, you know, pretty much everyone we knew. And those first couple of years we got hit really hard. It was like, if you're, if it was a holiday, a special occasion, a birthday, a party, it fell on a work day. Um, and those were hard adjustments in those years, but I eventually grew, especially being a stay at home mom to really actually enjoy them. And to, to a point where now, like, I don't even know how to handle crowds on a weekend. Cause I'm used to going to a movie on a Wednesday, like, you know, and so it just kind of, got into the, the, just the rhythm of shift work and um, being adaptable, adaptable to that. But then what happened with sweat life is that kind of pulled the rug out from underneath me as far as schedules go. Because with first responder life, a day 
in their life and their schedule is always, you know, up for grabs. You know, it just because their shift ends at six does not mean that they're going to be home. And, you know, and I learned to adjust that basically any day that he worked um, was kind of, you know, it, it could be whatever it was. But I knew our days off and I knew our, I could set my mind on it. If we just make it to next Tuesday, if we just make it to this Saturday, um, with SWAT life, it's 24 seven call out. So no day is sacred and no day is set apart. And you can plan for, um, you know, to make it to, I just got to make it to Saturday. And then Friday night at 11 PM, you find out your Saturday has been torpedoed. <laughs> so any kind of plan that you could have, um, you know, kind of just can go out the window at a moment's notice. And that probably became the biggest challenge for me because I enjoy control and planning. And I, I learned to endure through this life of kind of by looking to, if I just make it to this point. And so when that was removed from me, like then it forced me to kind of have to deal with something in the now that I had never really, all, all my coping skills up until that point kind of started to fail me. Um, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And there's so many things that I relate to because on some level, my husband being a chaplain spouse or chaplain, I'm the chaplain spouse, but my husband being a chaplain, we kind of have this 24 seven on call thing happening too. And so we might get those calls in the middle. He doesn't have to always go out like your husband does, but I do understand what it's like to like have um, something that you think is like not going to be sabotaged and it can always be sabotaged and having to adjust course or bend to that. Um, and so what was that like for you to have to reorient and have to try new coping skills? Like what, what did you start to implement instead? Or is that something you're still trying to figure out? Um, it was definitely a process. And I feel like the first, uh, year of SWAT, it's just, again, kind of how that first year of marriage and troll life, we got hit hard. It felt like that too. There was just a, it was just a high volume of call outs, a lot of schedule changes, and it ultimately led to, <laughs> be falling in a bit of a pit and having to learn to, to get back up because it really, like I said, all my coping strategies kind of just went out the window. And, um, I knew that this is where he was supposed to be. I knew that this is where we were supposed to be, but now I had kind of lost any sense of, you know, direction with it. So, um, I would say that's what actually kind of led me to the foundation and then subsequently led me to you and just that whole journey, this probably this past year of just learning, um, kind of like a fork in the road, you can choose to get very bitter, which I did for quite some time, or you can choose to let it, um, actually the, the things that can hinder you, you can choose to let them mold you and, and actually be a gift to you. So instead of looking at it as I, one of my favorite things that I love to say, which is horrible to admit, but at that time when I was in a pit, I just kind of love to let my husband know, like, I can't count on you. I can't count on you for anything. I can't rely on you ever like, you know, cause I knew it would sting and that's how I was feeling. And, you know, I shudder to think of those words because, you know, now that I'm kind of out of that place, I'm like, man, those were some powerful words that I like to speak a lot and have since apologized for. But, um, but kind of learning, it can either make me resentful or I can learn that, okay, we only do have two hours or I don't know if we have a full Saturday. And so it can kind of force me to be more present and in the moment. And is this worth getting upset about whatever this silly circumstances or just to have a, a higher quality of life for the few hours that we do have. Um, and that just really took, I guess, a, a mind shift for me that I needed to just kind of shift it and refilter it and see it as a gift rather than a curse because I, for a while there, especially in the pit time, it was just a curse to me. There was no good that could come out of it. So 
kind of readjusting and looking at it more as, you know, a forced dependence on living the life I feel like everyone tries to live, which is to be more in the moment and to, you know, have these quality times and not focus on, you know, seemingly little things. That's very hard to do in daily life. But this life has made it kind of easier because it's always in the in the back of my mind that, hey, I don't know if I have tomorrow. I don't know if I have three hours from now. So. Yeah, no, Ashley, you were going to say something. Go ahead. I just have to share a little story about Sarah putting this in practice and then being kind enough to share it with me. And I don't know if she remembers this, but when I first got to Italy, the washers and dryers here are like a fourth of the size of the American. And I just felt like my whole life was spent doing laundry and I was not catching up. And then one of them broke. And I was just like, I... I get comfort out of accomplishment. And I remember talking to Sarah on Marco Polo and I said, I was like, I just, you know, I'm, can you believe my husband came home and he said, I can take you, we can go to the laundry mat and do it all in one load to help you get caught up. And I was like, how dare he make this my job? All three of us wear clothes. Sarah, do you remember what you told me? Yeah. Uh, Share that. I I don't, I'd rather hear you share it because I I remember just of what I said, but I want to hear what I guess impacted you because I I didn't know you remember that. The mess, I mean, I was like in my downward (laughs) spiral about this laundry, just everything being out of control. I couldn't even call the repairman to come fix it because I'm not the the service member, which was like such a slap in the face to me, you know, because I was like, I, I was the service member. So I was talking to Sarah and she's like, but how fortunate are you to be able to, you know, be at home with your family and, and that they, you know, they're making this laundry and, and you're there and you have them to do it for. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it was just that perspective switch that she just like completely flipped the switch for me. And I was like, that is so true, and I completely missed that. I mean, I still have that fork in the road moment when I'm presented with the next thing, you know, and to do I allow myself to see it this way or do I allow myself to see it the other way? Um, but yeah, that wasn't, if I made it sound like it was like I just woke up one morning and was like, oh, you know what? I just think I'll be grateful. Like, that is not <laughs> how it happened in the least. It was through a lot of just a really intense dark period just personally in my life that um, just really took a lot of almost climbing out of and, and getting tools and getting other people and, and all those different perspectives and new ways of looking at it. And I think too, the biggest thing for me in that season that helped me was having all of a sudden people who truly understood getting linked up with the organization, getting linked up um, with you and having people who just understood. And I didn't have to try to explain it or, they weren't trying to relate it to that one time their husband was late. You know, it just, that, that gift of understanding, it was such a tremendous gift and a launch for me to um, see like, okay, it's not just us. Because that is the thing about sometimes, particularly in our environment with first responder life, um, my husband works, he does not work in the county that we live in. So it can be very isolating because he can work a different shift, even if we were to meet other first responders in our area. They're working different things. They have a whole different system. And so it can really isolate you and think this is just your world and look at everyone else's nice world and your world's a mess. And then kind of seeing other people who maybe didn't, they don't have the exact experience, but that they have that understanding 
and that they're doing well and that you can do well, um, it just helped, I think, push me in the right direction and kind of motivate me. Well, let's talk about that. Let's actually talk about what that was like for you guys to come together. There was about um, 24 maybe spouses that came together on that one trip. And everybody kind of goes through this. I wouldn't call it a crisis necessarily, but it is kind of this growth moment of um, that first night of getting to know each other. And maybe there's a few people there that are like, why is it like for first responders too? Or why is it for military too? Like, how come there isn't more of me? Or, you know, I don't know what everybody's actually thinking, but that's what I would feel like. And so why are we, why are we grouped together with this group of people? So why don't you guys share a little bit about what your experience was like coming into learning about this other community um, and maybe talk through like what were some of the similarities and differences because we're not here to say that you guys are exactly the same but I think what you guys just pointed out even in that story is that you can have very different perspectives but you have something to offer even when there's things that's different about your lifestyle so talk through a little bit about what that experience was like to come together on that retreat well for me it was my first time really acknowledging that I am a military spouse and it was the first organized event that I had ever done with other military spouses. So, so didn't you also struggle a little bit, at least I hear this from other dual service um, spouses, is that there is a little bit of a stigma attached to spouses, I think. Um, and I think it's good for us to be honest about that because, you know, I read an article recently of a dual service who was like, what do you guys have to complain about? Like, nobody is firing at you. You know, nobody, you're not going into dangerous situations. You're not leaving your family. Like, but then she, just like you, found herself in a position where she was not only a veteran spouse, but also that her husband went on to become a first responder. And she was like, oh my dear God, I had no idea. <laughs> so talk with us a little bit about that growth moment for you. Did you have a little bit of that stigma as well? Absolutely. And I thought, honestly, I thought I had left that behind as, you know, being deployed as a younger soldier at the beginning of my career. Um, we had, you know, the family readiness group and whatnot, and it, there just always seemed to be some sort of drama attached to it. In my interactions throughout my career with other military or with military spouses as, as a service member, weren't always pleasant, so I just tended to avoid them because I associated them with drama. I also, early on in my career, had the opinion that, you know, it was much easier to be the spouse at home, and uh, it just seemed like there was a lot of negativity and complaining that came with the, came with the spouse at home, so uh, it took me being on the other side of, of that to really understand, and what I try to tell anybody who will listen now, like being the one at home is the more difficult place. Yes, there's maybe not as the danger isn't there, but it's harder because it's on your shoulders to make the world continue to rotate when your service member is gone. You know, it's on your shoulders to make sure the bills are paid. Um, being the deployed person, it's simple. It's not easy and it's not safe, but it's simple. Like, you know, where you're going to have food provided to you, you go to the chow hall. You know, you don't have to worry about putting dinner on the table. You don't have to worry about where you're getting gas. You don't have to worry about those, those little things in life that add up. And usually there's, you know, two people to share those things. But when you're at home and your partner is deployed, then, you know, all of those are on you. 
you have no choice but to, to make it all happen. And so I think that's the more difficult place to be. And so what was your experience once you got to the retreat and you're with these other spouses and Sarah's there too. I know she was there on that particular one. So what was that like for you to experience a whole new community of spouses? And it was a, a good mixture of spouses too. Yes, it was, it was amazing. Um, it didn't really dawn on me what I had gotten myself into until I was in the van headed out of cell phone reception. And I was like, well, <laughs> here we go. Cause there's no turning back. I mean, I'm either walking back to town by myself or I'm going to figure out how to be in this situation. Um, and typically what I do is I find somebody that I have some sort of common ground with and that's my safe person, which you guys put me with Christine who is also, you know, active duty military. And so I was like, okay, I'm good. I'm going to be able to survive the, the time we're here. But it was that icebreaker that first night. I was so uncomfortable. I was making inappropriate jokes because I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, but it was like the comparing. And honestly, it was such a blessing to be there because it was listening to all of these spouses talk about their challenges with their service member. And in my relationship, I am the combat veteran. My husband has not deployed. And so it was such an eye-opening experience for me, just experiencing their vulnerability and willingness to share with a room full of strangers, but then also being able to like reflect on my relationship and and how I've been that person in my relationship and see the effect of it on my spouse. Like I couldn't have asked for a better, just eye-opening experience in such, such a wonderful and like loving environment. Um, and I, I was accepted with, you know, open arms. Sarah and I have absolutely nothing in common. And I, from the first day I was like, I don't, I don't know whatever I would find in common with her, but we really got the opportunity to bond over our differences, which was amazing. And now like, I can't imagine my life without her. So. Oh, Sarah, what about you? Um, where do you want me to start? <laughs> <laughs> I guess just really, what was that um, trip like for you to step kind of you know, I think of it like circles, like these concentric circles that cross, you know, a little bit. And so I know that you were bringing the first responder perspective and suddenly being around a lot of even active duty military spouses. And so that's two very different worlds. Yes. Yeah, so, okay, I'll be the representative for the first responders. I think we could all agree on this. And even my husband and I have, we talked about this even through linking up with um, the foundation and, you know, receiving a retreat from them that, you know, I'm the one that entered us. And I remember it was for, especially for my husband, it was hard for him to accept because we have so much reverence for the military community. And we feel almost stuck in that we are not civilians, but we do not feel to the level of sacrifice that we feel that you all make as your, as a military. Um, so so it kind of felt like when I'm going into this, um, knowing that there would be military spouses there, there is still part of me that kind of felt like, 
I was like tucking my head a little bit, like they said I could come, like, you know, like, please accept me. I'm sorry. I'm here. I need someone. Will you be my friend? Like, you know, just kind of, you know, a little bit of an insecurity, just not feeling worthy to be receiving, um, some, uh, you know, the, such a great opportunity, but yet also knowing like, I need something and I need something different. And I'm, I'm, this isn't working anymore, you know, trying to do this 10 years pretty much on your own, because it, like I said, you know, I'm sure it is different for different places and different communities of first responders. But for us, we really didn't even, I didn't have other first responder friends or first responder spouses. Um, I just didn't know those women very well. And, and I know them better even now, but, um, early on in our marriage, you know, thinking, you know, kind of socially in a way, my husband's the one going to work with these guys. If he doesn't orchestrate that, how am I ever going to meet those women? And most often than not, I feel like in most families, it's the woman who kind of keeps the social calendar. So mm -hmm. it was kind of like, how do I even gain access to these people? I never even see them. So anyways, just being hungry for, you know, the, those resources that, or that understanding, which actually still I had experienced it through the foundation, but I had really yet to meet any other, you know, military spouses. Um, so I didn't even really know what I needed until I really saw it. But I, I would say there was a bit of insecurity there of just thinking like, and are they, how did they feel about us? Do they agree that we should be here? And, um, you know, there were a, only a handful of us compared to, and then as far as, um, you know, a, a dual service, I didn't, that wasn't even on my radar. Um, and I think that's what's so interesting, um, for Ashley and I, and one of the things that we kind of connected on is, you know, she had some negative feelings towards spouses. Well, I had some negative feelings towards that kind of that woman who's working with my husband and I don't know her and I don't know. And she's experiencing all these things that I can't experience with him. And, you know, just to be honest and, and very vulnerable, like I was with Ashley, it was, it's just threatening. It, it's just threatening, especially too, when you can't even put a face to him. Cause my goodness, the character that you draw in your mind, you're like, I can't live up to this girl. Who is this? You know? So, um, that was a, I ended up being such a blessing to get to meet some of the dual service um, women that were there and just to be able to connect with them um, and see them. I don't want to say as people, like I didn't see them as people before, but see like just the feminine side of them and that, you know, they have, were more similar than we think than, than I had kind of, I guess I had put up a wall to that a little, little bit. What a, what a beautiful opportunity for both of you that you just didn't even know that you needed. And honestly, there's no way that we could have known that you needed that either. And that's what's so amazing about bringing these groups to get together because they all come hungry. We all do. We all come hungry for something. And we just seem to find what it was that we were hungry for. And a lot of times we find what we didn't even know we were needing that just ends up happening, if that makes sense. And so what did you end up feeling, Sarah? Did once you started kind of getting into the group and bringing those walls down just a little bit, did you eventually realize that you did? I don't want to say earn a spot because you got a spot. Like, you, of course, you you are worthy of being there. But what what was it that shifted for you? Did it 
shift? I, yeah, it took a while though. I mean, I remember it was probably, I think our last night there and everyone was just in general, I think we were all kind of realizing that we were, you know, separating and it just felt like everyone was being so affirming to everyone. Like, I just love this about you, or I just love this about you. And we were all kind of saying it and calling it out of each other. Um, and that's when I just remember kind of having this moment of like, like, oh, wow, like, they really like me. And like, you know, they want to be around me and they don't think I'm like some weird outsider or, you know, some imposter. And um, just the level of understanding, like it was, yeah, I, I feel like I keep saying it, but the understanding part, and it's so strange because it's weird to be living still very different scenarios, yet there's just this like, like undercurrent of like, understanding that there's elements that you don't have to explain and people just get it. And I do remember um, on our last night there, a couple of the women saying, you know, I, I don't have any first responder spouse friends. Like, why aren't we friends? And, and I was like, you know, I don't know, because with my husband, he works with a lot of prior military and they get along great. So it makes sense then, you know, like if my husband's been getting along with these veterans, for years, why wouldn't I get along with these wives like that, you know, have lived the military life and, you know, our spouses. And so, and you made the comment about how you saw military spouses as, you know, I, I guess I, you didn't use the word pedestal, but putting them on a pedestal is if we sacrifice more than you do. And it's amazing. Cause I look at your life and I go, you know, and this was a lot of what military spouses were saying on that re retreat about your lifestyle. We were all going, uh, we could not do that. Like to, you know, it's one thing to have our spouse come home and be safe while he's at training. Like my, my husband's in the field right now for the next three days. He's fine. He's not going to be in danger. Right. So I'm not worried about him being gone when he's in training and that sort of thing. Whereas you guys go through that every day. And I think one of the things we talked about at the retreat is we kind of said, you know, as, as military spouses, we go through these deployments, however long or short they are, but that you guys are going through many deployments every day. And so what I saw from my perspective of just facilitating these groups and after doing three or four of these retreats now, what I consistently see is that it's surprising for both sides. It's surprising for the military to recognize that you're going through these many retreats, but I think it's also at least, and this is a more of a question to you, Sarah, because I feel like I see the first responder spouses go, oh my gosh, we are. We are going through a mini deployment every day. Or at least I wonder if you see that because that's our experience of seeing that in your world. Yeah, it is validating, but there is still just an element of it where you don't almost want to receive it because you're just like, no, 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 no. It's not the same. Like, don't compare. I couldn't do a big deployment and I couldn't, you know, and so you kind of want to almost push it away. But I will say there is a part though, again, kind of put like going back to just that hunger of like, it, it does feel good to have someone maybe acknowledge something. Um, because I think, you know, even those who are very close to us that aren't in a, you know, they're not in a military community and they're not in a first responder community. They're just, are, you know, close to us, be it family or close friends. It's still a life that's very difficult to grasp unless you were in our house, you know, or if you could see like how long and often he's not here or, you know, just kind of things like that. So to have someone kind of say like, oh, what you're doing is tough. Um, you know, it is kind of, it is validating and it's needed because at least for me it was because I think part of the burnout, part of the pit that I fell into was for so many years, I tried to live like I wasn't a first responder spouse. Mm 
I tried to do everything that all my other friends were doing with nine to five, you know, husbands and like, meaning like, okay, well, if they can do these things by themselves or they can go to birthday parties and I can too. And I can too. And part of my health came from recognizing, no, like our schedule is different and I, I need to do what's best for us. And sometimes that means I don't take my kids to the birthday party alone because it's too much of a trigger for me that I'm always alone. Oh, you know, and just some like negative things. It doesn't mean that I just live for me. I had to, to kind of learn. I can't just pretend like I'm not different. I need to kind of accept it. And I wasn't accepting it because I really had no one saying, Oh, you're different and you're making sacrifices. Um, and no one really knew to, because like I said, it's just one of those things that you don't really fully grasp unless you're in it. So that's so interesting. And Ashley, I'm curious about what you think about this. Um, it's so interesting because I hear every now and then, you know, with stuff that I push out on Facebook or a survey that I do here or there, um, every now and then I'll get some feedback from somebody that says, why do we have to identify ourselves as a military? Why can't I just be the wife of him who's doing his job? let's just say, and I'm using these um, stereotypical boxes, by the way, but um, every now and then I'll get that. Like, why, why can't I just be me and not necessarily have my identity wrapped up in what it is that he or she is doing because the government, the um, county, or whoever has hired them to do this or that. So, um, Ashley, I would love to hear your perspective on that because i um, I would say I'm similar to what Sarah is saying in that, um, yes, I feel like I have my own identity, but I feel like if I divorce myself entirely from the lifestyle, um, that I'm neglecting some very big parts of my life that affect me every day. Me, that just feels like denial. You know, if, if you are trying to establish yourself outside of what, what it is that your spouse is doing whether it's, you know, a service member or first responder, those, those aren't regular jobs, you know, like you don't worry that when your banking husband goes to the bank, you know, maybe there's going to be a robbery that maybe there could be, maybe it's a bad example, you know, but like, I feel like we have to be so much more present and so much more like in the moment with our families because they're in these jobs that, are high risk and you know nothing is guaranteed in our world you know not just with the first responders nothing you know a weekend or a day off that's not guaranteed so you have to you have to have more more tools to be able to utilize to for your self-care your and your family's well-being you know and I think if you're trying to separate yourself from that you're ignoring a lot of those tools that are available, you know, and I'm still figuring out, I would love to be just Ashley enjoying Italy, but you know, that, that's, that's, you know, I do my best, but that's not my life. My life is I'm here because my husband's active duty and he's stationed here and there's, you know, rules and stuff that we have to follow because of that, you know, and, um, well, and there's a lot of spouses that go overseas to where you are and to some other countries where they have to give up so much. Like I know Italy is one of those places where you can't own your own business. Um, and a lot of spouses leave their businesses and leave their careers or something that was really meaningful to them in order to keep their family together. So that's one big example of like, it's not something that you can ignore, I don't think. Right? No, you cannot because then you risk losing your sofa privileges um, yeah, so and a lot of times those spouses are 
the bigger income earners of the family. So that family really takes a, a big financial hit. And then you're in Europe and you're encouraged to travel. Well, now you're on one income, you know? So how do you, how do you plan for that? How do you continue? What's normal look like, you know, if there is a normal. So there's just, there's so many, I, I, my mind is blown being here at, you know, the spouses and what they've sacrificed to be able to be here with their families. And there's nothing they really can do about it. Mm-hmm. They just have mm-hmm. to accept it. Well, I think that I would regret if I didn't take the time that we had while we're together to talk about what do you feel um, military spouses and first responder spouses go through that's commonly not talked about out loud. Because I think it's really easy to to be the strong one, to have it all together, to say no to those birthday parties, you know, for the sake of self-care, right? <laughs> Which is huge. That's a huge step for you to do that. I mean, there's a lot of spouses out there that for the first time they, they're hearing what you said, Sarah, and they're going, oh, I can say no to a birthday party? Like, I didn't even think that that was even an option for me, right? Um, but I think that there's a lot of underlying things that the community struggles with that um, some of this we talked about on the retreat, but I'm curious to know, um, what do you guys feel like is some of the biggest issues that these communities have that is just really tough to talk about? For me, it was being a military spouse and active duty soldier and even now being retired. I just, I thought I had to be everything for everyone. And I really didn't understand how taking care of myself should have been my number one priority. And I think I see a lot of, of spouses that, you know, put their families first and their husbands first and, and their, you know, if there's anything left over, then they'll use that on themselves. Um, and you, you can't pour from an empty cup, you know, and, and I was having that epiphany at the retreat Um, as I was entering burnout right in the middle of, you know, this retirement and PCS process, worst timing ever. But like, I really learned it at the retreat is like, I really need to start practicing um, self-care and find things that are going to help me handle all of this stuff because it's, it's so easy to put everyone else first. It really is. It's, that is the, the easy way. It is really hard to make sure that you are taking care of yourself so you can show up the best for your family. But don't, don't you think that that's hard because so much of our life is scripted around their schedule that it's just almost like a habit that we just keep revolving around. Um, you know, we keep revolving around everybody because we automatically revolve around the schedule. We automatically revolve around um, our spouse's schedule too. And so it's just easier, I think, sometimes to just respond to the kids that way too. Like, I'm just going to revolve around whatever the kids need because the kids are important. And then, I mean, don't, let's not even, I mean, maybe we should go there about mom guilt as a first responder spouse and as a military spouse and a veteran spouse, right? Like the, the mom guilt that comes up so easily. I know we've, I've experienced that. Like I have drugged my kids all over the nation on average every year and a half, moving every year and a half. And I'm like, they've been through so much. Like, so I'm just going to revolve to around what their emotions need, what they socially need developmentally. And so when they're just gone to college, then I'll take care of myself. (laughs) Right. It's so easy to say that. So, um, I mean, 
don't you think that that's part of it? Sarah, what about you? I, I agree with what, um, a lot of what Ashley said. Um, I would kind of go back for me, um, going back to a little bit to trying to forsake or separate or completely divorce from the identity of the, of the lifestyle. I would say that for me, at least in our first responder experience, I didn't know I was a first responder wife. If that makes any sense, no one ever told me, Oh, you're a law enforcement wife. Like, it, it goes with the territory. No one told me that, that I needed to, all the things that Ashley just said that could come from trying to do your own identity, like all the demise, that's exactly what I did that for probably at least seven years of our marriage and of our life. I tried to just see myself as Sarah married to a cop and Sarah married to a cop was ready to throw into or throw in the towel. Cause she was done. Like, you know, and it wasn't until I started to give myself grace that my life was different and things like that. But none of that I feel was ever spoken to me. And therefore I think in, if I didn't understand that and I'm supposed to be a part of the community, there is a great disconnect to the civilian life and what the impact of being a police, you know, specifically speaking to a police officer, what that does to a family starting with, um, I actually just came across an article um, a couple days ago and it was talking about just how um, when you're faced with trauma, you will change. And no one told me he would change. Like, you know, let's, let's start by saying that I thought, first of all, when we were dating, I heard, you know, I want to be a cop so I can help people. And, you know, we were in that kind of phase and, you know, we both have servant hearts. And so that just spoke right to me. And at the end of the day though, if I was being honest, I mean, you have a lot of like, you know, misconceptions in general about what marriage would look like and all those things. But I felt like, okay, you're going to be a cop and we're just going to live this cute little simple life where you write people tickets and, you know, you think you do some good. And instead what it turned into was dealing with naked, drunk, middle-aged ladies, you know, at three in the afternoon, like just crazy, just this crazy life that no one <laughs> could have prepared. I don't think it prepared really him for, or for, you know, for me, but no one told me like, you will, he will change because of that. And then subsequently, so will you. And I feel like that was, um, that's a hard thing to talk about because when it's your spouse and when it's someone you care about, when you say, oh, well, no one told me he would change, that immediately to me sounds very negative and it mm -hmm. sounds very like exposing. Like it sounds like, oh, almost like maybe I'm hinting that he can't handle something or it's just a, a, like a secret space that you just stuff and keep to yourself because you would never want to dishonor or, or tarnished you know, question his character or make anybody do that. Um, and so it's like, you don't even know how to explain that to someone who's not going through it because you feel like you have to start like way back at the beginning. Well, he's really a nice guy and this and that and this and that, you know, and wait, you know, he's seeing this or, you know, and it's like too much to try and explain. So you just kind of stuff it. And mm -hmm. I, you know, I was just thinking, you know, we were because of that article talking about how, you know, when you're faced with trauma, yes, you, you can, certainly make healthy choices out of it, but you are, you will change your cognitive responses to things do change. And so, um, it, it brought up a, a, a pretty good conversation between my husband and I, and just kind of us looking back over 10 years of this life. And, um, you know, in the beginning when you're just, when we were just trying to just be married two married, you know, two selfish people coming to together into marriage, which is challenging enough, he was literally in FTO. He was in field training then. Um, 
just, you know, the start of both of those things, marriage and his career. And there were things that were coming up and we, I was seeking, you know, counsel and advice and, and we got great advice on, you know, how to communicate and how to respect and things like that. Great tools, but no one knew to tell me, um, he's exhausted because hypervigilance is exhausting. But instead, mm -hmm. I'm just like, why are you exhausted? Why don't you love me? You know, like it just, I was inserting myself into things I did not belong in. And then subsequently not being supportive at all because I didn't, I didn't know I needed to be. I didn't know how. So I feel like there's a, just a, a huge gap, I would say, in the first responder of just that this isn't just a job and it's not just writing tickets. It, there's a lot more to it. I think what both of you said is so powerful and they go together, right? I think I just want to recap on some very important things that both of you guys said. I mean, first of all, Ashley, when you're talking, when you're talking about the importance of self-care and, and we say that the importance of self-care, but no, this is really a big deal. This is really a huge epidemic that spouses are not doing a good job taking care of ourselves. And one of the things that um, I lead you through on that retreat is talking about like, we all know what is self-care. Like we all know, like I should eat right and I should sleep better and I should exercise more and blah, 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 blah. But nobody, nobody's doing it. Like, what does it mean to actually go, if I'm not doing well, then that there's consequences to that in my family. And there's consequences to that in my marriage. And like, I really do need to set aside just 20 minutes of quiet in the morning, even just to kind of ask myself, how am I doing? What do I need today? Like, that's a big deal. And we aren't doing a good job of that. And so actually, I just want to stress that, that that is a huge thing that we need to adjust in our life uh, and do a whole lot better. And that's something that for me this year is a huge um, goal of mine is even just to give myself the permission to say, I'm worth that, to give myself that 20 minutes. If that's all I do that day that I can say, I'm not, if I don't just be still personally for my personality, I need that stillness for 20 minutes to just even center my thoughts on, because otherwise I've got a million things in my head and I'm never centered for the rest of the day. And so saying I'm worth that, that yes, it's wonderful for me to take on that role and serve my family and take care of everybody. And, and by the end of the day, if I, if everybody feels taken care of, then I feel like I won somehow, but I am exhausted. <laughs> and if we're not careful, then we find ourselves in resentment because we didn't do what we should have done for ourselves from the very beginning and why are we mad at everybody else? Because as if they were supposed to do it for us, like, you know, and that's what I see from, from a lot of us that we're like, how come nobody puts themselves in my shoes and how come you're not giving me my time? And, you know, we got to take it in a kind way. Like we can't just demand it. We have to do it for ourselves. But I also want to point out, Sarah, that you said um, something very important as well that first of all, him changing isn't necessarily a bad thing. Let's, let's talk about that here in just a second. But you also said that that change also happens for you too. And that can also be a good thing that yes, there are changes that are challenging and difficult. And, you know, my book is very open about that. As far as the changes I saw in my own husband, that I was very resentful on, like this wasn't fun. It's not fun to see your spouse suddenly like, whether it's something small, and I know, Ashley, you have a perspective on that as a veteran, but whether it's something small like 
I don't want to go to the mall today. Can we do something different? We're like, well, I want to go to the mall, you know, <laughs> so whether it's something small like that or whether it's something much bigger where we have a lot of people that are struggling through some very big behavioral and emotional changes that have happened because they've been exposed to that level of trauma, um, that that does change us. But you know, Sarah, you made such a great point that we do start off marriage with these two selfish people usually that come together and says, let's change the world, right? Together. And then um, that suffering or that difficulty that we go through or that we see our spouse go through demands something different of us. Um, because we can either stay on the track of bitterness and resentment and go, well, you better get your whatever together, right? Um, or we go, you know what, we're in this together and we're a team and I've got to adjust accordingly. And how do I serve you? How do we serve each other? How do we um, suffer together? And what is it that I'm going to be wishing that you would have done for me if I was struggling? Um, and how can I be that person for you? So let's talk for a second as a group. Let's talk about um, some of the many awesome things, some of the strengths I think that um, these changes bring because it's very easy for any any group of women especially to sit and talk about the negatives and I think it's important that's why I wanted us to go there I want us to talk about what's hard but I, I think we also don't get a chance to talk about what's really awesome about this community and about our spouses doing what they love to do and and one of those I'll just start with those changes that even if it's because of trauma um, I see changes of sensitivity and compassion because of, of trauma they've gone through. I see, um, just speaking of men in particular, I see a tenderness towards friendship um, and, and kindred spirit and, and also an excitement for life because they, you really do get to see um, the impact that one's own mortality can have on their life to go, you know what, okay, you don't live forever. I'm seeing that. And so that makes me want to live differently. And that's one of my favorite things of working with both communities is that there's a strong um, belief system that goes behind being a service family. And that's something I see in common with everybody. And it's a remarkable group of people to be with and talk with. So what would you guys say are some of the strengths that you've seen, whether it's because of changes you've seen or just from living the lifestyle? So I would say kind of like what you were saying, Corey, just, um, and what we talked about earlier, just the perspective shift is, um, just the value of, um, family and family time, not, you know, I have already disclosed that clearly our house hasn't always been a, a place of peace, but that is like of the utmost important to us. And so when it's not, be it, I'm having an issue or whatever, um, it's high priority to get that in place because, of the life that my husband lives separate from our home, it is so imperative that our home be well and be a safe place. And so I see, but I see him, it's not just, I'm not bearing that weight. I see that on him, his shoulders as well, wanting to make this, this a good place and invest um, just in our family and in our life here and our children. And um, just again, kind of speaking to the quality of time that we have. and. Um, I would say too, like it's a, it, it has, there's not much drama. Now my husband is geared towards that anyway. He does not in no time for drama, but like that definitely, I feel like has amplified in this job. There's enough drama to go around, you know, in that lifestyle. So it doesn't really, we don't, he's good at boundaries. He's good at setting things. So that doesn't leak into our lives here. 
And then, like I said, just the silly things of being able to go to the movies on a Wednesday or, you know, get to get the, the cheap discount. I can't tell you how many like private tours of historical homes and caves and things like that we've had because it's like a, you know, Thursday morning and we're the only people there with the tour guide. So that's always work too. I love that. I love it. Okay, Ashley, what about you? That's awesome. And one of the things that I wanted to just kind of caveat on what Sarah was saying in the beginning was like probably the number one question other spouses asked me at the retreat was how come my husband won't talk to me about whatever, you know? Um, and I just had to kind of say, you know, that's a traumatic experience. You know, anybody who has a tra traumatic experience, they're not like standing there waving their arms saying, Hey, I want to talk to you about this. You know, it's a process and a process of healing before you get to the point to share that even with, people that you love the most. So back on to, to this, like the advantages of it. I mean, we're getting to travel the world. Our six-year-old has been to 10 countries. The people and the relationships, I don't know any other profession where you can move somewhere foreign and you're like, hey, I just met you. Can I get your phone number so you can be my emergency contact to pick up my child? Because I don't know anybody else in this country at this point, you know? And don't you think civilians probably think that's just irresponsible and crazy of us? Like, what else like, are you going to do? <laughs> but that, that goes back to um, this common belief system and a common value system that's also in the first responder community. Like everybody has some, this community. I mean, yes, there's going to be those those, those rare people here or there. But for the most part, everybody agrees on integrity, responsibility, doing the right thing, wanting their family safe too. So there's something, I yes, we shouldn't blindly trust, but there is a different level in the community of just knowing that they're with like-minded value system type of people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like we are more open to establishing relationships quicker than what our civilian counterparts would be because, you know, every one and a half, three years, we're picking up, we're starting over somewhere brand new. So I, I guess we're a lot more, we're able to be more vulnerable faster with new people that are in our same community uh, to establish those relationships and support systems that we need. So one of my favorite parts is, you know, I have friends all around the world that are so, I would have never had met outside this community, you know, and, and even now with the foundation, the women that I was there at the retreat with, I cherish them. Um, I would have never had the opportunity to meet them in my town of 200 in Wyoming. So I am truly blessed with, with the relationships and friendships that I've made along the way in um, the traveling. I mean, and just the support of the community. And I know that's a little bit different for our first responders at times, but you know, it fills, fills your heart to see your service member appreciated openly, you know, and 
uh, ditto on that. And that's one of the things that makes my heart so happy, even hearing you guys talk today, because you guys have a level of connection that I didn't even realize that you guys had. Like I knew you guys knew each other from the retreat and we kind of share a Facebook group together so we can kind of hear each other or see each other chat. But I had no idea that you guys were kind of contacting each other outside of that and walking each other through, you know, um, appliances breaking and meltdowns and that sort of thing. And how beautiful that really is because I don't know, I guess I have a dream um, that even if just military spouses, more military spouses would reach out to their first responder community, wherever they are, and just go, hey, we just want to have a coffee and invite you guys over. Like, just in case you need, and that might seem strange to the first responders, you know, but like Sarah said, she didn't even know that she was a first responder wife for the longest time. And so I think it just takes having this conversation of going, hey, there's a lot of people in your community that may not be um, super supportive of you right now. And we have like enough, our cup runneth over. Like we have enough to be able to share and just say, hey, um, we love you and we're thankful for you. We have a lot more in common than you realize. And we would love to invite you into some level of support. You don't necessarily have to invite them to military functions necessarily, but invite them to coffee and just say, hey, you know, we know what it's like. We'd love to share and, and hear from you what your life is like too. So I don't know, Sarah, like that's a crazy thought. It's just kind of a dream wish or whatever. But if maybe there was somebody listening that was like, you know, maybe I'd like to try that. Is there anything that you could tell them that would make it a little bit easier? Or what would you love to see happen? Because I know first responder families need so much more than what's really out there. Yeah, I agree. Um, I definitely feel like reaching out um, to a first responder, you know, wife, um, as a military spouse, um, because I have, like you said, Ashley and I talk, a bunch of us talk and a lot of them, I mean, I met some first responder spouses on the retreat, but more of them are military spouses. And, um, we actually just went through, um, just a small incident that I really can't go into details about, but I was able to kind of get on, kind of hit the highlights and just be understood um, even though it was different, like, you know, one of them was talking to me, like, I remember when my husband was deployed in X, Y, and Z and they were different, but it was the same. And, um, again, there was, I didn't need the backstory. So I feel like I, I will say, I'm sure it is intimidating because I do feel, I didn't realize this about myself. I saw it happening to my husband. And even when he first got in, I remember him saying, you know, most police officers are only friends with other police officers. And of course, at that time I was Sarah married to a cop. So I was like, um, no, that will not be the case. <laughs> and, you know, so, and, and so really in some sense, I neglected pursuing those relationships because I thought I could just be Sarah and I didn't need those relationships. And boy, did I ever need those relationships. So, um, but anyways, I feel like through the years, especially with the things that have happened, we are very guarded. Um, we have been burnt in every situation, in every place. There is no safe place where you think you're talking to someone who is safe and then, oh my, do you hear a difference of opinion? So even, so we may, I would just kind of speak that maybe we do kind of come off as guarded in day-to-day -day life. I mean, clearly at the retreat, that was like an anomaly. Everybody's like, well, we're all strangers. So here's all my stuff and I'm going to leave in four days, you know, but you know, in day-to-day -day life, I'm sure maybe we look less approachable. Um, but it doesn't take much to just unlock, you know, just that meeting for coffee or just you know, showing the appreciation, it does, um, it is impactful and it does make a difference. And I think especially on the spouse side, because 
I feel like from the, the serving, the serving spouse side, my husband's side, he has seen, yes, a lot of backlash, but he's also seen a lot of positive. People are just, as much as they are adamant to tell you how much they hate you, they are adamant to tell you how much they appreciate you. Mm -hmm. But again, on the spouse side, on the support side, no one's coming up to me and thank me and not saying that they should, but I'm just saying, but that's kind of why I didn't realize I was a spouse because no one ever acknowledged me to have some sort of role in any of it. So I think as a military spouse, just kind of acknowledging like, oh, you're, it's, it is a niche and it's a, it's a special thing that you have. And, you know, I admire that or, you know, speaking into it, it's probably, it's certainly um, worth pushing through any kind of maybe hesitation you have with that. So I think in closing, what I would love to do is um, maybe just ask each of you guys to think of maybe somebody that is in your shoes. Um, and I, what I'd love for you guys to do is to just um, encourage that person. Like, what would you want to say to that spouse that's listening um, if you could give them a message? So I'll start with Ashley. My best advice would be, you know, if you're not going to put yourself first, take care of yourself for you. You owe it to your family to be the best version of yourself because of the, you know, the unique environment that we're constantly dealing with. Your family will flourish because you're teaching them that it's okay for them to take care of themselves as well. Self-care is difficult, but at the same time as a service member, as a former service member, self-care was difficult for me then too. So Awesome. Thank you. Sarah, what would you say? You know, I remember when just the culture started to kind of take a shift. It was, you know, back in 2012, 2013. And I remember sitting on the couch saying to my husband, I hate that people hate you and I hate this life. And I remember him saying, really? Because I feel privileged that I was chosen to live this life. And at the time I wanted to just punch him in the face. Like, that's just not what I wanted to hear. But part of what I was missing is that we kind of have touched on this, but it is, you know, first responder life is a calling. Our, our spouses have answered a calling because it's, it doesn't pay enough. And it comes with enough baggage that no one in their right mind would do it just as a job. Um, it's a calling for sure. And for years, I separated myself from that calling. But if you are married, your callings are together and it is a dual role. And when you embrace it and see where you fit in in that calling, even if it's just to open your mind up to be more understanding and learn more about what your husband is experiencing so you can create a better environment at home, but then also too so that you can see what you're experiencing and give your self-grace and tap into what Ashley just said, which is the self-care. And even if that means you are saying no to things that everyone around you seemingly can handle, um, the best thing, like, like I said, I don't take my kids usually to birthday parties if my husband's not around because I'm just going to be an angry mom towards them and upset and depressed by the time I get home. So for me, I don't care. Like, you know, there's someone that could say to me, Oh, but you know, your kids need this. They need that. They need a healthy mom. They don't need me being, taking out my frustrations on them. 
or, you know, getting myself into a pit again where now I can't get off the couch or, you know, they need me to, they need me and they need me to be well. And so you have to learn that you are serving too in a capacity and therefore you need grace and you need space. And there is no better person to voice that but yourself. So to start listening to your own voice and if you, you know, and not doing a whole bunch of, well, I should be this and I should be that. You need to be who you're supposed to be in your niche, in your calling, because it is different and you are set apart. And that's not a curse. It's actually a very special and privileged thing to be a part of. So beautifully said. And I am so glad that you guys were able to join me and say it yourselves because I think the listeners, everybody that's listening would agree that you have so much to offer, both of you. And that's why I wanted to bring you together. I hope that you guys have benefited as much as I have today. So thank you guys so much. Thanks for listening to the Life Giver Podcast. If you're enjoying these conversations as being free of advertising or sponsorship, please help me by spreading the word to other military and first responder families that might benefit from the show. If you'd like to find out more about me or Life Giver, you can find more information at www.coreyweathers.com or life-giver.org.